Alrighty, so guys, welcome back to Zupi the Autotelic Mindset Podcast. Um, lucky here with a BMX uh, racer Olympian, uh, James Palmer. Uh, excited to have him on board. Pretty lucky here as it's pretty still pretty fresh. I'm not sure where you are on your high scale if it's come down, uh, just returning home, but uh, lucky to have you on board, just returning back from the 2021 Olympics. Literally, what's been a couple of weeks now? Not too long. Yeah, it's been uh, it's it's pretty recent still. It really is, especially cause with the, uh, the the Pan American Games or sorry, Paralympic Games going on. Uh, but first off, yeah, thank you for having me on. I'm stoked to uh, be able to join you here and share some of my uh, experiences, uh, some of the things I went through. It is. It's. Uh, I'm still. I wouldn't say I'm riding the uh, the Olympic wave anymore. I've kind of come down from that now. Just kind of, I'm in that uh, that low point of just enjoying being home, just trying to relax as much as I can now. Awesome. And from following some of the other Olympian athletes, I think that's a big thing is like just getting home and relaxing and being in your own, your own environment. I think you guys need it after uh, a big couple of weeks down in Tokyo. Yeah. Yeah. Big time. I think um, it's, it is weird. And I've heard from a lot of people like uh, their different experiences. It's a weird feeling going from the highest of high you've ever had to uh, coming home. And for a lot of people, it's just, um, going kind of back to like ground zero, like there's no, we don't have anything to focus on moving forward here. It's just kind of chill out and relax. It's a weird place to be from where we were a few weeks ago. hundred um, percent. Yeah. Well, it's glad. Uh, it's good to see you back home. Uh, enjoying the Canadian fresh air, as we say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah. So BMX uh, racing is uh, it's new to me. So I'm going to kind of get you to, Give me an intro of you know how you kind of got into it uh, i'm from the gta but it looks like it's a little more popular out in vancouver mm-hmm. there but yeah let me know how you got into the sport um and then like we we're talking before we'll get into like the qualification process and how that all that works yeah for sure i mean um i should say that yeah bmx is a sport that's still not very i wouldn't say it's very popular very well known yet it's very small very niche um especially in canada where our country is so large that our it's surprising that we don't have a very big uh, BMX race rider base. Um, it's very popular in, in the U S and over in Europe, but Canada, not so much. Um, so it is, people always kind of wonder how I got into it instead of why aren't I in, why aren't I playing hockey? Exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah. But for me, I actually, when I was growing up, I wanted to race motocross, which I'm sure a lot more people are familiar with. But when I was a kid, my mom thought that was a little dangerous at the time. So the safer alternative that some friends told us about um, was BMX racing. So they took us out to the local track and basically from there, I just kind of got hooked and was racing all through the years growing up, played a bunch of other sports as well, but uh, kind of got into my teenage years and kind of close to my twenties and decided to just kind of take it on full time because it was something I still loved. And I really loved the, uh, the, I love the individual aspect where I could put all my energy into it and get, um, get out of it, whatever I put into it kind of thing. Cool. That's i uh, I'm sure we'll touch, touch on it too. Uh, individual sport versus team sport uh a lot a lot different you're kind of relying on yourself so when we get into the mental yeah. and the mindset stuff it'll be cool mm-hmm. to uh, start hearing what uh what you do and some of the techniques and tricks you do as an individual and with all the pressure kind of on, sure. on you so with regards to bmx you said like when does it start to get serious like when are you like hey i'm going to take this as like a profession i think it's um now that it's been in the olympics this is the fourth time it's been in the olympics it's starting to become um more high performance around other countries in the sense that they're starting to kind of focus younger people into the sport earlier. 
um, for myself growing up and for a lot of the people I've grown up racing with, we wouldn't kind of start um, making it our main focus maybe until you're uh, 18, around that age, maybe 17, 18, sometimes 19, but that's kind of pushing a little bit late. Yeah. Um, nowadays, you're seeing a lot of younger kids kind of focusing on more in their like 14, 15, 16 range. So um, it's a lot earlier. You know, and it's crazy because like you said, the BMX is not, it's, it's, it's growing, but like you said, the kids are starting to get into it younger. And like with my background in hockey, like, you know, the kids are like six or seven, maybe even younger than that, that they're like, okay, I want to be a professional. Like I'm going to put all my eggs in one basket. And I'm going to go for it. Uh, so to say kids are getting younger, like it doesn't surprise me with the skills you need to make it to that elite level. So not surprised one bit. And I'm sure it'll get even younger as it becomes more popular. Yeah. yeah, I think so for sure too. And the funny thing is about our sport is that you, you almost need to start young to be able to have the skill set to be able to do it when you're later on. Um, it's not a sport that you kind of just do recreationally when you're a kid. And then when you're older, you're like, okay, I just want to do this full time. It's like, you have to actually ride a lot to learn the skills because it's a lot of the, the bike handling skills that we do on a BMX bike aren't very natural to most people. Um, unlike a mountain bike. So if you're not doing it when you're a kid too, then it's hard to do kind of get into it full on when you're older. And that's funny because I wouldn't, I wouldn't have guessed that at all. I would have said, I would assume yeah. you could jump in when you're older because you're just like riding a bike, you know, but yeah. like, talk yeah. to someone that's in it. Yeah. That's crazy. I wouldn't have guessed that. So walk us. So yeah, let's, I want to, I want to hear about how you qualify for the Olympics uh, in BMX and how it all works. I know every sport has their own different qualification process um so yeah kind of run us through for some of the viewers listening that are wanting to get into motocross or uh, bmx sorry um mm -hmm. and how that all works so our qualification i believe starts um two years out from the games um that's when our official olympic qualification points they start keeping track of the points and how it works for us um there's a few different pathways you can do to secure your spot so the main pathway is through your nation through your country and they take the top three riders in your country, um, the top three riders that earn points at the World Cup events will be, go into a ranking system where they put your country into a ranking of like first through 20th or, and so on. Um, and then they will take the, I wanna say the top 11 countries out of that will all qualify riders, um, but it depends on what position you are for how many riders each country gets. So um, if you're the top two countries, you'll get three riders to get to go. Um, the next three countries after that will get two spots. And then what does that make it? Uh, seven through 11 or six through 11, sorry, will get one spot only. So that's kind of the first main pathway. Um, the second pathway, which is actually how I qualified through, the, through to the games is what's called uh, an individual ranking spot. So if there are countries like Canada um, and other countries that don't really have three riders that are at the high enough level to earn a nation ranking position they will then after the 11 country spots take the next three top ranked individual riders so they take away those those countries that already got a spot and they look just at the individual ranking in the world and say who are the next three riders whose country has not earned a spot and then they'll take those three riders they get um, a spot to the games and then the there's two more spots after that and those are awarded to the, the best two finishes at the world championships, um, the year of the Olympics. Gosh, so, yeah, so, you're, so you're almost like a wild, like you almost had like a wild card spot. It sounds like. 
Sort of. Yeah. It's a little bit of a wild card, but also one that I, I knew I was going after for a long time because in Canada, we haven't unfortunately had three guys um, racing consistently on the world gotcha. cup tour to, gotcha. to get those points. Um, so I kind of knew like, a couple of years out that almost, almost, I guess when, when the, uh, the whole qualification process started that I was going to have to go after that individual ranking. Um, what does make the, the nation ranking and the individual ranking different is that the nation ranking, you only get your points from World Cup events, whereas the individual ranking, they include all the races um, the year prior to the game. So that includes World Cups, um, Continental Championships, and other UCI events kind of around the world. So it becomes tricky. You're doing a lot of point chasing, unfortunately. So for you guys, would you have like, I know some sports, they have like a national training program. Like you have a program or a team where people or team Canada come to train? So I would say kind of, um, we don't really have a huge training team or a training uh, base, but we have kind of made one uh, here in Vancouver where I'm from. Um, we have a track out in Abbotsford, BC, where we do our track training and we've worked out a deal with uh, one of the universities to work out of their gym and one of their strength coaches helps our team out as well. Uh, but BMX being so individual and being so small, a lot of us riders have, uh, different coaches from uh, wherever, like from the U.S. Uh, my coach personally, he's Dutch, but he lives in the U.S. So although we have this training kind of location to, to be at here in, in Vancouver and Abbotsford, um, we don't really have that kind of centralized program like other sports do. Gotcha, gotcha. But it's, mm -hmm. it's good to see it. it's slowly starting to grow. So would you, would you spend throughout the season, do you spend most of your time in the States then or a little bit back and forth? Uh, pretty back and forth, but most of my winters are spent uh, down south, somewhere warm. True. So for many years there, yeah, I was, I was always driving down to San Diego and spending a good four months down there at least. Um, just trying to get out of the cold weather and stay somewhere where I could continue to ride. Um, these past couple of years has been very hectic. Uh, we were over on Australia for, for a couple of World Cups, which ended up being our preseason as well. Then this, this past year with COVID, um, went to Florida because it was one of the only places that was open. Mm -hmm. And it was also great weather to be in. So it's been a little, I've been a little all over lately. Have, um, or can be carded. So you get funded so many monies, so much money. Mm -hmm. Plus, you know, you have your sponsorships and that kind of stuff. How does that work for you guys? So, yeah, we are able to get funded luckily through the government as well. Um, so thankfully I've been able to qualify myself for uh, development funding because um, there's the two levels, senior and development. I didn't qualify myself for the senior level funding because we had no world cups to do so last year. And the year before that just wasn't, uh, didn't have the results to do so. Um, but that funding has been huge because obviously for us in Canada, like I said, I, I'm always traveling South in the winter. Yeah. So I'm able to do that with that funding. Um, it really doesn't cover everything. So I do have um, other sponsors when it comes to like, a, I ride for a team in the U S that is able to support me luckily, but, even all that combined, like the year is so expensive that um, that funding probably doesn't do everything. I still get support from my parents, from my grandparents. Yeah. Um, but we're, we're very lucky in that sense, though, in Canada, that we do have that kind of support, that financial support. 100%. Uh, so with your sports, so it seems to me, it seems like when I mean with most, most Olympic sports, there's, this is your career. This is your job. There's no, unless you're doing maybe some side hustling stuff where you're making some money, but this is more or less your, your full-time, 
full-time job or are you doing other stuff on the side to make extra money or? No, this is uh, yeah, this, this is pretty much it for me too. I, I try to do coaching throughout the summer. Yeah. Um, I do some like little coaching camps with uh, Tori, yeah. uh, one of the other retired BMX riders here in Canada. Um, so we'll do some of those, but this is full-time for me otherwise. Uh, yeah. And then what, so run me through you're in, you're in the, in your season, what's kind of a day in a life, like so day day, in the life. How, that, how that plans out. Yeah, yeah. So day in the life, kind of what we do is we normally alternate between gym sessions and track sessions kind of to break it as simple as possible. Um, so normally we'll, let's say we start on a Monday, we have an early morning gym session, early morning to me is nine, nine o'clock. Sometimes we go earlier, eight o'clock, but we normally spend a good two hours, two and a half hours in the gym. Uh, BMX very explosive. So a lot of our, um, a lot of our workout is based off of heavy squats followed by, you know, plyometrics of some kind, just explosive exercises. And then usually you come home, have lunch, try to try to chill out for a few hours if I can, uh, depending on how big the gym session was. And then I usually have a sprint session in the, the afternoon. And for most people will think, feet when i say sprint session but we do those sprints on our bike yeah, yeah and uh we do a variation of different kind of on bike sprints so sometimes it could be downhill a lot of times flat and then sometimes uphill as well it just depends on what point in the season we're at um but then yeah come home chill out as much as possible again being a sprinting sport we i've been told and i've been taught to try to rest the legs rest the fibers as much as possible yeah um, and especially feet. yeah exactly especially when yeah, the next day we'll normally do a track session. Um, that'll be another morning track session. Usually um, we try to do the mornings uh, on the track because the windier it gets for us, the, uh, the tougher it is to ride. Sounds kind of weird, but yeah, the wind affects us a lot on the BMX track, which is, gets really annoying at times. Yeah. Um, but just part of the game. Yeah. So then we'll do a track session. Usually our track sessions will consist of a little bit of skill work at the beginning, just touch up on those, stay fresh and sharp. And then we start to do more racing efforts, which consist of maybe half lap work, or we just focus on one straightaway of the track and just kind of do mini races, mini battles on there. And then we spend a lot of our time training on the start gate, which is a huge portion of our races, being able to get out of the start quick and get a lead early. Um, so I'd say the majority is spent on that. But yeah, like I said, it's a, we, we are back and forth a lot between gym, sprints, and track. Yeah. It's funny. I love talking to Olympian athletes. Cause like people, like people here that are not quite at your level. Yeah. Like I, I train hard every day. And, but mm -hmm. until you talk to someone like yourself, like you guys are actually like eat, sleep, train, eat, sleep, train yeah. where people don't, I find don't understand that until they're at that level, um, mm -hmm. going to the gym in the morning and then, you know, going to a practice, like that's nothing compared to what you guys do. So when you hear it from you guys and you break down your day, like, Oh, it blows my mind sometimes. Um, I was, uh, I was talking with, uh, with uh, another rider a while ago, we were just kind of like, we were talking about his career and the differences of like, yeah, high performance, like a professional athlete versus one that maybe just tries to take it seriously. And we we're talking about the fact, like, I don't think a lot of people understand that when we are training, when we go full in, like we eliminate a lot of things from our life. Like, just hanging out with friends, going out to dinner. Like those are things that get eliminated because they take energy away from you. And it sounds stupid, but just being at a dinner table with a bunch of friends, like if you're out to dinner at least and having a conversation, your body's not resting as much as it is if you're out on your home on your couch, just relaxing. And I can play like that 1% you kind of gain from being at home makes a big difference the next day. If you keep adding that up months and months and months kind of thing. So it is crazy.
and, and that's a good point. And that's kind of what I, a little bit of what I preach with the mindset stuff, um, mm. with my balance board, you know, you have personal development, you have your relationships, uh, you have your career, um, and trying to manage that and balance it and making, you got to make certain sacrifices here and there in order to, you know, perform at your best. Um, and it's, it's not always easy. And I always tell uh, my clients is, you know, here's your balance board, which is basically a globe uh, of your, your life, you know, different areas of your life. And we're trying to make it balanced, but the truth is it's never balanced, right? Mm. We're trying to get tools and do things here and there to, you know, balance it here and there, but it's never truly balanced because you're always, you know, whether it's adversity in your sport, whether it may be something going at home, uh, whatever it may be, uh, there's always something going on. But um, totally agree with you with, you know, like you said, family, family and friends is huge. And you're putting a little bit of that time aside in order to maximize your performance in your sport and career. Um, and I like when you yeah. said the energy, the energy levels, some people don't understand that, but definitely I agree with you. It adds up over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It's, it's wild in that sense. It's like, I've, looking at just like one day at a time people would think it's crazy but you start adding that up and it's like if okay well if i'm a little bit tired tonight and i'm going to be a little bit tired tomorrow morning is my training session going to be as good probably not then i'm going to be frustrated and maybe try to do too much and i'm going to ride and get more tired and it's just a snowball effect for sure 100 percent, and that kind of leads me into my next question which i was telling was talking to you about before like the olymp the olympic journey the four-year process uh, this year being five, which I'm sure was, uh, pretty interesting for you guys and going through what we did, but after like you describing like a day in a life, what you go through, you're planning that for four years. So with, with regards to goal setting, how do you break four years down, um, month by month, year by year? Um, how do you do it? And how do you stay focused that whole time? Because like you said, you explained one day to me. And you have to, you're doing that and competing on top of it to stay focused, to stay healthy, to stay and all, all that stuff. What's, how do you goal set in that process? Um, it's almost a tough question to ask because yeah, this year has been, the past year has been wild. There was, it was easy to set a, a long-term goal leading up to the Olympics because I knew that's what, I, what my goal was. I was trying to accomplish that. So that goal was simple. Uh, I knew there were targets I needed to hit along the way that were my, kind of my short-term goals. But I think for me, like, working one hand on hand, like very close with my coach, um, that's kind of how I would do less of the thinking and let him kind of make the plan for me. If that kind of, it's hard to just say that without kind of saying like, Oh, I do nothing. My coach does everything. Yeah. Obviously I had a big part in it. We discuss it, but he knows what kind of targets we have to hit and what we're trying to hit along the way. And then I'm just trying to do my best day to day to make sure that I can kind of get to those, what we've kind of set out and he knows we're trying to hit that kind of makes sense. Yeah. I feel kind of like let the professionals be the professionals and trust that they know what they're talking about and they have that plan, uh, that, that they're going to guide you in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. I've always, always been a big believer is like, I, I work with my coach. I like, I have him as my coach cause I want his opinion. I want his professional side. I want him to kind of give me information. Obviously, I share my thoughts, my opinions. Like it's not just, he's telling me one side only and I'm just over here listening, but at the end of the day, I'll listen to kind of what he says and work off what he gives me. Cause that's what I trust. That's what I believe. Um, and 
I mean, it works for the most part, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I hear you. Um, yeah. And I think that's where, like, I love the individual sports, but when you start getting into conversation, like you actually have a team behind you, you know, you have your coach mm-hmm. there. He's part of, he's part of your team. And I think as top performance athletes, I think whether your coach is your technical coach, your fitness coach, I think that just like what you're saying is their job is to, you know, be the professionals and relieve you of that extra thinking, um, whatever it may be thinking stress. Um, because like you said before, it all adds up. So, uh, forming that good team around you and letting them do their job, uh, and allow you to focus on, you know, your job, uh, and Mm -hmm. that's the performance, uh, at the end of the day. So I think, yes, you're an individual sport, but it's cool how you get to create this team of people around you uh, that allow you to do what you do. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I always, I know it's kind of cliche, but I'm like, in posting, you're trying to thank people. Like I always try to make people understand like, yeah, it is an individual sport, but the amount of people that have been behind me helped me that have got me to where I am. And I say where we are is, is huge because those little bits that everyone helps, like it takes stress off me to be able to just try to go out there and focus on my job. So like having a coach to do the training plan. So I don't have to worry about what my day-to-day needs to look like having like even someone to take care of logistics with traveling and flights. Like that's huge because that's stressful when you're an athlete trying to book kind of cheap, like um, accommodation or cheap flights. Like it's stressful trying to find all those little things. So when you can leave it up to a travel agent that, or somebody that helps you with all that stuff, it's nice. And so forth with like um, a sports psych, your, your team physio and that kind of thing. It's, it really is a team, team, uh, team game in that sense. hundred percent. So with regards to that, like, what does your team consist of? Who are your people that, that create is your team? So, so for me, I have my coach, um, who lives in the States. He's Dutch, but he lives in there. He's a former racer, Robert DeWild. He gives me my day-to-day plans. Um, that's on bike track work and gym work as well. Um, but then here at home, we have Jen Turner. She's a chiropractor that is our team, kind of team doctor, team physio. She does it all, basically. Um, we have our kind of track coach and national team coach, Adam Muse, who oversees all of us BMX riders on the national team and make sure that we're, one, doing our programs that we're supposed to be doing, uh, but two, he's, he's coaching his individual riders that he works with too. And he oversees us all at the track. So those are the big three. Um, but then along with that comes um, a sports site that I work with, with Alex Hodgins. Um, he also works with the uh, women's national soccer team. Um, we have our official team doctor here, um, Andre Liu, who's whenever in BMX, unfortunately, we have lots of injuries. So a lot of the times we're coming home from races and events where we need to call him and we need to get in for a quick x-ray to make sure we're, we're healthy enough to continue to train and whatnot. Um, so those five are huge. And then thankfully, because BMX um, is part of Cycling Canada, we also get to get the benefit of using some of the staff there. Um, Jennifer Mahoney is one of the women that works there and she does all our traveling and logistic work, um, stuff like that. So yeah, those, those people are the ones that kind of take care of me throughout the season. Nice. And yeah, when I, when you contact, when I contacted you and you got back to me, like one of the first things I thought regards to like mindset is I know these guys get injured probably more so than some other sports. And mm-hmm. I think like being injured, injured is probably one of the most frustrating things you can probably go through, whether, whether, you know, it's a month recovery, two months, a couple of weeks, like, cause you want to be, you want to be performing, doing what you do. So, um, I think that leads right into like some of the mindset stuff, you know, and overcoming some of that adversity with, with injuries. 
um, you know, even coming back too early and all that kind of stuff. So with regards to that, I first want you to kind of put me through. So say you're at the, say you're at one of your events, let's say it's the finals because finals is always a little bit more pressure, a little more stress. Um, you have like a pre-game ritual, a pre-day ritual. What's your, what's your mindset and what's your focus and how do you get into the, the zone um, leading up to that race? Um, how do I get in the zone leading up to it? To be honest, I think having the race plans, like having that target that I'm working towards is kind of what gets me in that zone. And the closer I get to that race, knowing what I'm training for is kind of, kind of my way of getting me in that zone. And then as the week, as the race gets closer, say the week of, um, let's say we travel, that's normally when we would travel to the event the week before, um, just getting there, you kind of get the, the feeling, the vibe that you're at, you're at an event, you're somewhere new, you're going for a purpose. And that also starts to kind of focus you in on what, what you're doing, like gets you in the zone a little bit as we're talking. And then as things progress, you get into practice day. And I think that's really the first day that, you know, the race is coming tomorrow and that's when you kind of dial everything in until that point. Oftentimes I'll still try to stay very relaxed. Like the week of, I'm still trying to stay pretty relaxed. And then when it comes to the day before practice, like the practice the day before, sorry. Um, it's all in focus at that point. And then I'd say at that point, I'm already in the zone for race day. Um, I do a lot of journaling that kind of helps me with my thoughts and to kind of get my process ready for, for race day. Um, but I'd say that's already kind of set the day before in that, in that practice. And then do you have any like uh, routines where like, you're going to listen to this song or you put on your headset, um, maybe go for a walk. Like you have a routine for that race day that you go through every time more or less. Um, I'd say I do for like my warm up. I don't really have one for kind of the morning of like a lot of times our race time changes. So you have to be really okay. adaptable and really flexible. Um, but as soon as like, I get like an hour out of our practice time of that race day, like our kind of warm up session, mm-hmm. everything's kind of to plan. So normally chill out for 20, 25 minutes. And then after that, I got about 30 minutes to practice. So I'll start getting my music in, start going for a little spin and then do a little dynamic warm up. Um, just write in my notebook again, what the plan is for, for that exact session or for that exact race day. And then after that, it's just kind of gear up, get on the track and, kind of not go through the motions, but once I'm on the track, usually it's pretty standard warm up. We do a few, few efforts down the last half of the track and kind of move towards the gate, do a few efforts there. And once I'm feeling comfortable and ready, just call it quits, get the body resting and get ready for uh, the first race. Um, so you said journaling, do you do any, like, um, give any affirmations, mantras, um, what about any visualization? Uh, we do do a lot of visualization. Um, there also are a lot of things like I'll say to myself, like I'm a big trust the process, um, stick to the task kind of guy. Yeah. Um, I learned that a lot throughout when I kind of growing up that my thing has always been trying too hard at races and that sounds ridiculous, but in our sport coming off the start, you need to be calm, relaxed and stick to your task. So that was always my thing is stick to the task, stick to the task. And, and that task is always things that I can control. So certain body movements out of the start. And those are the things I would write down in my notebook to, uh, to get me going. gotcha gotcha yeah i love this i love this is the stuff that's the stuff i love getting into so yeah my my kind of other question is so have you heard of flow flow state the concept of flow yeah i i couldn't like exactly explain all to you but i have heard of it yeah 
Okay, so just in a in a nutshell, it's it, you just it's most people know as being in the zone, which we kind of mm-hmm. hinted on before. Uh, you feel and perform your best. Um, I say your feel good neurochemicals start shooting. You know, dopamine, uh, anandamide, and all those fancy neurochemicals. And time either dilates, speeds up, or slows down. You lose a sense of self and self consciousness. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of a little bit of the gist of it. But with regards to because you guys are going so fast. Um, and a lot of it's like muscle memory, um, mm-hmm. are all the tracks, I'm, I'm assuming they're, they're different and yeah. you're obviously like, so when you get into a flow state, you're, you like you said, I, you said sense of self-consciousness, you're just riding. Like, do you feel that? Or how does that kind of go through? If you know what, if you understand what I'm saying, how does that feel when you're on the track, when you're not really thinking, but you are, and you're go, you're going and when to make a move, when not to make a move, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I know. I know exactly what you're saying. Like there's that, that time and that when you're in the zone, you're not thinking about anything. You're just kind of going through the motions and everything's kind of your body is just doing it. Um, and BMX, that happens a lot when you're in mid pack, when you're in a race, like when you're kind of I've never been in this position, but when you're up front taking your laps off, you're kind of you're always doing your own thing. You're just racing your, your lap. You're taking your boxes in that lap. But when you get put in positions where unfortunately I am a lot, which is you're in a pack, you're trying to race against other guys and find, find openings, find lines, find passes. You can't really think about that, especially in the sport of BMX. You don't have time to process what's happening. You're like, okay, like I'm going to set this up and I'm going to wait and do this. A lot of the times it's okay. There's a gap I need to kind of go for. I need to go now. Um, and you don't really think about it. It's more of just doing. And in BMX, we talk a lot about like, you can build an engine, you can build somebody to be really uh, quick off the start. Like you can teach those skills, but that race instincts, that you have to have in those situations where you're in the middle of a pack or you're trying to make a move. You can't, you can't generally teach that. It's something you kind of have to learn growing up and just sounds stupid, but you almost kind of, kind of got to be born with it. You kind of got to just have it from that younger age that I talked about when you start the sport. Gotcha. And so like a lot, so like, obviously you, you, when you're on a track, you know, the tracks, you get there in advance, you see where the the hills, the jumps, the bumps, the bumps are. Mm -hmm. But when things are not, like you said, if you're trying to make a pass or someone's passing you or, you know, rubbing on you, like you're talking about here, everything's just instincts, whether, you know, you're manually, you're not manually, you're going this high, you're not going this high. That's just instincts is what you're saying. Yeah, no, it really is. Yeah. There's been times where it happens with a lot of races too. Like when you get put into a position where you're battling with somebody, you'll pull out a random, uh, random line or do something completely different that you haven't done before. And it just happens because, you're not really thinking about what to do. You're just trying to be as fast as possible and you'll just do something randomly. Like it's happened to me many times where I've been middle of a race trying to like elbow to elbow battling with somebody. And I'll just throw in a random pedal stroke, like between a couple of jumps that I would never, never do normally. Yeah. But in a race, it just comes out and it's just like, okay, well that worked fine. I guess we'll keep going kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like that's this, this is all the realm of like flow, flow, being in, being in flow. You're not yeah. thinking you've lost that sense of self and, yeah, I'm sure like you probably finished a race and is either the longest race of your life or the quickest race. And you don't like, where did the time go? So to speak. Yeah. You almost have to like, yeah, you have to like be, wait a second. What just happened in that lap? There are some laps that it's like so much stuff seems to happen in the lap. You have to like, look back and, or like take a moment after the race and be like, did that all just really happen in like that 30 seconds? Like it's crazy. So you must, do you, do you, do you guys do a lot of video like review through your training then I'm guessing you watch races over. Yeah, we do. Um, normally we'll try to watch a lap after the race, like every time, um, just to find anything we could have done better or see anything that 
maybe we weren't sure if that actually happened in the lap. Like, was I too close here or did I actually have a move I could have made? Um, that kind of thing. Yeah, we always do. Yeah. Cool. Um, so kind of going back to the Olympics, um, with regards to your field, like what were kind of your expectations? How are you feeling going into it? Um, I mean, you race these guys, I'm assuming all the time. So you kind of know your competition, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, what were kind of the vibes and, uh, as like the weeks progressed, um, where you were standing, where you would like to have been, where you were, uh, kind of play us through your Olympic experience with regards to the competition itself. So, so going into, into the Olympics, the race for the men's field, um, compared to the games in 2016, they actually cut the field down. So we had 24 men there. Um, we're used to having in all the other Olympic games, we had 36. So the field was extremely stacked in that sense where um, the, the kind of easy people you'd have to race, what we call like kind of a free lane, yeah, just yeah. kind of the joking term. We didn't have any of those. Everybody that was there was there to compete. And everyone that was there was pretty much expecting to be in the final. Yeah. Um, so I knew going into it, it was going to be a battle right from the get-go. Um, I was thankful that going, going into the race, going into the whole experience, like I had a really good prep, a good buildup. But I, unfortunately, in the back of my mind the whole time, I wasn't feeling as fast as I would have liked. Um, the partner that I was training with, the guy I was training with leading up to it is from France. And he is one of the fastest in the world and very well could have and should have won the games, should have won more races. He's won multiple world championships. Um, so it was tough to feel confident about my speed going up against him all the time. Um, but I kind of knew also that like, Although I wasn't feeling fast, I had done all the prep work and everything went smooth. So I was kind of confident in that sense. I did everything I could there. When I got to the games and got to the, our track, we had ridden it before. We had ridden it the year before um, to kind of test it out. Um, but they had made some changes since then to the track, which I wasn't a very big fan of at all. Unfortunately, got on there and was just extremely uncomfortable with it. And it was a little bit of a surprise to be as uncomfortable as I was because I've always been somebody that's been more of the track rider. Um, I haven't been the start speed guy. I've been someone that works my way around the track and tries to pass people that sense. Um, but being uncomfortable with the track changed that completely and made it really uncomfortable for me. And it was kind of a, a new obstacle I had to face. And I understood what the, what it was, like what the challenge was. And I tried to do my best to deal with it. But looking back now, like it, I tried my best, but it wasn't very good, unfortunately. And although my goal was to make it to the final, like I was battling for a top four in the first, in our quarterfinals and I didn't make it out of there. So it was, it was extremely disappointing in the sense that I felt like I did everything I need to do, everything I could have done. Um, but I really didn't feel like I got to put my best foot forward out there because I never got comfortable with the track to, to really race like myself. Yeah. And it's, I mean, you don't like, that's the thing that I love having these conversations is that you as a spectator, you, mm -hmm. you don't know you never know what you're thinking or how you're feeling and now yeah. i'll get to hear uh hear it but um i mean as a, as an athlete you're probably you know say you made semifinals you're still going to be a little bit tough on yourself where you know i could have done a little yeah. better here and that's just being a high performance athlete um but just for people listening and they can and you can kind of tell you know you're maybe a, a little disappointed but i mean big kudos to you pat on your back like you said the field got cut down in half so there were no mm -hmm. there were no gimmies uh like yeah. you were saying so right away you're already you're already competing against these top top guys um and to say you only made it so far like um 
it's still incredible, you know, hearing, hearing what you're kind of sharing with me. Um, and like I said, I wouldn't have known that, but now that I know mm-hmm. that, like where you finish, having more of appreciation, um, knowing these top guys you're competing against and they knocked half of them, half them out to begin yeah. with. Um, so obviously I know you'd like to do a little bit better, but, um, from hearing your story, like, man, like that's, that's unreal. And like, it just goes to show you, like, doesn't matter what sport this you're in, how hard it is to make the Olympic games is like, ah, oh, incre- incredible when you're at this, this top level. And when they do things like that, they cut your field in half, um, yeah. even that much more challenging. So man, like pat on the back. Uh, I know it's like you said, you might be a little bit disappointed, but unreal achievement just from hearing what you're telling me. Uh, and that, that's w- wicked, wicked stuff for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you. I do appreciate that. I have been told that by many people, but I also think, yeah, that you're, that's that racer instinct or any kind of athlete. They always, once you've experienced a certain level of success, you're always trying to, to reach that, that same level again and again. It doesn't matter what event it is. And yeah, like I, like I said, I, I knew I was, I wasn't one of the top dogs going in. I, I haven't been, I was definitely one of the underdogs. Um, my goal compared to a lot of people, my goal was to get there first. A lot of people was automatically, they were, they knew they were going to go. Their goal was already to be in that final and win a medal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I just try to put, um, the most pointing part for me was just never feeling like I got to show my true, what I thought were my true colors. I never got to show that on the racetrack. Um, I had a crash in, in one of the practices beforehand when you crash on one of the jumps because you don't really know why you crashed. Like it wasn't like a racing incident or anything. It was just having an issue with the jump. It's hard to go full gas in those jumps. And that was, that was tough. So now that you've got, now that you've done one and you've kind of gotten the itch. So it seems like there's a lot you cut, you learn from and you're going to take on, you'll take with you in, into the next one. Um, it seems mentally, physically, um, and all around what you're going to, you know, obviously make a couple changes here and there from, from the sounds of it. Yeah, I'd say so. Um, I'll be honest. I'm still, I'm still having to decide if moving forward, like if I want to go for another games um, in my head, I would really love to, I really want to, I just want to make sure my heart's in it because I know, I know how hard it was for myself just to qualify for these games. And not only just like physically, but just mentally like traveling, trying to get all these, these points, um, going through their inju- injuries that we've talked about and seeing friends and other people who have even worse injuries. It was tough and it has been tough. So I want to make sure that my heart's in it enough to know that I need to go all in when I, if I do want to go. Um, so I'm just giving myself some time right now to decide, but there are definitely a lot of things I know now from the experience that I would love to put into action next time around. hundred percent. And like, <clears throat> yeah. I wouldn't like to be in your shoes. Cause those are like, those are life decisions. You know, you got to come across and yeah. obviously make, um, yeah. and I think that's all part of the journey, uh, whether you're in the sport and after the sport, right. The questions you got to yeah, answer sure. and what you got to do. Um, I should have backtrack a little bit here because you guys said you have a sports, a sports psych. So what are kind of some of the things that they do, do with you guys with regards to, um, like mental preparation, all that, that kind of stuff. Um, what are, what are they helping you with? Or, cause I know it's per it's personal to you. Um, but what advice, tips, tricks, techniques, uh, if you don't mind sharing that they help you with. Yeah. Like, I think it is very, very 
person, like person to person, like what different things um, we're working on. Uh, for me, uh, kind of like I mentioned a little bit before is my struggle has always been over trying and wanting it sounds lame, but almost wanting it just too much. Yeah. Um, I've always been somebody that's had to stay a little more calm on the start because with our, the way our start gate has worked, um, if you go too early, you can hit the gate and you completely mess up your start and you're in a, a bad position to race. Um, it's only until recently that the gates have sped up and it's easier, but that's been my problem is I've always wanted so much. Like I think I need to, to do more in the race than I've been doing in practice. And I need, I've been having to find ways to try to stay calm and stick to the task and trust what I've been doing. Um, so those have been, that's kind of the area that I've had to focus a lot of my energy on with, when the, with the mental side. Um, a lot of that is just learning to trust the process. And that's something that gets said a lot in, yeah. with athletes and it almost gets a little repetitive but there's a reason why it's repetitive and that's because it's very important. Um, so for me, the way I do that or the way I've been trying to kind of be better in that field is with my notebook, taking notes, like in my practice sessions, like kind of going through the motions of this is the level, like I want to be at, this is like the, my intensity I want to be racing at. And I want to take the same kind of intensity level that I'm at, take it to the race um, the next day. So in your opinion, how much of the sport is mental? How much of it is it physical? Would you say? Uh, what's what's those, one of those weird sayings where it's like it's ninety percent mental, one hundred percent physical? Yeah, uh, yeah, some dumb math like that. Yeah, Honestly, yeah. I think it's like a lot of us riders have the the physical capacity. It's being able to put all that into motion in the race. Um, so I would say a shit ton of it is mental, like being able to stay calm and trust yourself, trust your abilities. Um, it's, it's a good 50% of the race, I'd say, honestly, yeah. like if we're putting it into a realistic perspective, like if you have the abilities and you have the skill and you have the strength, the speed, whatever, that's 50%. Now you need the other 50% mental to be able to control all that muscle, all that energy that you have. Um, there are people that I think are straight up faster than me. And that's always gets tough when it's like, comes to like mentally believing in myself. So it's like yeah. how much which is a mental then versus me just trying to do my best and hope they mess up kind of thing. Um, but yeah, a lot of it, a lot of it's mental. hundred percent. And it's good. Uh, it's good to hear athletes talk about this because uh, for the longest time, people don't talk, weren't talking about this or getting help with it. So uh, it seems like you've done a lot of self-work over the last four five, six, seven, eight years, uh, just from uh, going over some of the stuff right now, it seems like, because this stuff takes, um, years and experiences to kind of get in tune with like mind body kind of, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. No, yeah. I've, I've learned a lot of different things from different sources. Um, from my sports psych, of course, has been able to help me the most. Just being able to talk out some of my thoughts is been huge. Um, I've really got into, or I did for a while. I got into reading sports psychology books, like different sports books, um, with kind of people like in MBA or MLB, different kind of coaches and sports psychs that have worked with different athletes and how they helped other people. Um, but then also just like listening to podcasts and like ha having different athletes on, on the podcast and like hearing how they work, what worked for them and stuff like that. Like I've tried things just from hearing what other athletes yeah. do. So I try to take a bunch of different sources in. Yeah. And, and um, kind of through my experience doing research and stuff, like there is so much stuff out there. Sometimes you got to hone in on a couple sources or people you like and kind of stick with them. Cause I mean, things, some things get repetitive. Some things are just don't work for you. 
they work for other people. Um, so I, I think it's finding a good mix of a couple people here and there in different um, industries with regards to mental health and wellness and kind of honing that in. And obviously, hopefully it works for you. I, I found a big, mm-hmm. was a big part of my practice because I mean, there's just so much stuff out there, which is nice, uh, but can be overwhelming too. Yeah, no, it really can be sometimes. Yeah, I've tried some random things. That's for sure. Like things that I've heard other people say they do. I've tried that and be like, okay, yep, that's not for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, at least you tried. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's and it's 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 good to hear that. Um, like I said, the mental side is becoming part of part of a coach that's helping you with with that stuff. Whether it's sports psych, whether it's um, you know someone's helping with meditation. I mean, there's a bunch of stuff out there, mindset coach, um, different titles for different, different things. So it's good to see it. it's out there. Yeah. But so I kind of want, I was kind of like uh, reading up on you and I saw you have a kinesiology background. Very brief one, but yes. Yeah. But you're obviously have a keen interest in the way the body moves. Uh, a little bit. I did more. So when I was kind of forcing myself to go to college or go to university, uh, yeah. I picked what it was, um, what I was like, what I wanted to learn at the time, which was about the sport, about the body. So I could, you know, perform my sport gotcha, better. Gotcha. Um, I'm less interested now, more of just, uh, I'd rather just perform stuff, but I still have a very big interest in that side of the stuff for the gym work I do. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. I, I, and the gym stuff is awesome. Like I said, there's so much stuff out there and it's pretty cool. What the human body people mm-hmm. are training and doing with the body is just incredible uh, now these days and what they're probably having you did do now versus a couple of years back. Um, so that's interesting. So like, okay. So outside of BM or the BMX stuff, what, what kind of other hobbies do you have or what kind of interest do you have outside of the sport? So right now, um, because I've been like full-time BMX, I stopped going to school, uh, a good handful of years ago now, um, pushed all my time into BMX. So on the side, all I'm really doing is I do my coaching stuff in the summer, try to uh, get out to some of the local tracks, coach some of the riders. Um, I play a lot of golf been really into golf lately because it's nice. just one of the greatest greatest sports out there one of the toughest <laughs> sports too if not the toughest. seriously yeah yeah <laughs> big time yeah mental wise too mentally it's tough golf is yeah yeah um i do i co-host a podcast with a friend of mine in the bmx world as well um which has been fun and then just i drink a lot of coffee i'm really into just going to different coffee shops exploring the cities and wherever i'm at and just finding different spots to hang out nice nice so a little yeah. bit a little, little bit of everything little bit like I'm very chill like I there's a lot of people that say like it's kind of boring I don't do very much but it's kind of the athlete life like I don't need much like I can enjoy just hanging out drinking coffee or going to the golf course with buddies and just playing golf all the time like that would be that's great for me <laughs> it's fun and it's funny because like you do such a fast sport and then when you're yeah. off the race you're like complete opposite <laughs> yeah people always say that like why, like how did like golf come into the mix and I think I think it is because it's the complete opposite like I don't need I'm not a big guy with like the adrenaline things like I don't need to go ride roller coasters or go or go do bungee jumping stuff. Like, I don't need, I get that adrenaline for my sport. Like I want to do something that's very much the opposite and just relax. Yeah. 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 Nice. So, you know, you've had the Olympic experience, you, you know, you've thrown on the Olympic Jersey, you know, when you, when you're, when you're there, what's that like, what does that mean to you? Cause that's obviously just a different, you know, it's not a world cup. It's the Olympics, which you've been kind of working for towards like, what does that feel like? What did that mean to you? to be there representing Canada, um, representing your nation, your friends, your families, your coaches and all that. How did, what did that feel for you? what did that feel like? Uh, I've been asked it a few times and it's really tough to put into words like 
the the feeling of pride joy like honor like everything all the above that it feels yeah. like the amount of time that as athletes like we are focused of just trying to get to that point in our sport like trying to get the olympics when you finally get there it's a huge relief um I think putting on like the Jersey, getting up for practice, like being in the gate for the first time was just like, I had a lot of like pride and just joy of just knowing that myself, like everyone that helped, helped, has helped me along the way. My parents, my grandparents that have put so much like time, money, energy into helping me. Like it's a goal. It was something that we all kind of accomplished. It wasn't just like, I wasn't up there just for myself. Mm-hmm. I was up there for my family. Everyone helped me, but also all the BMX riders in Canada that, that want someone to look up to to know that it's possible. I mean, like I said, BMX isn't big in Canada. So yeah. to, to have myself up there, have our female Drew McKielsen up there um, for, as a role model, as somebody for these kids to look up to was huge for me. I think that's really big. Um, yeah, I, I, honestly, I, to put it really simply, it was just really cool. cool. It's just an okay. experience like of all time. Yeah. That's an, say no more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, and that kind of leads me right into my next question here is like someone trying to do what you do, what, what's kind of some advice you'd give pass on to the next generation of people trying to become, you know, the next BMX Canadian rider. I've, I've had the kind of question and kind of people talk to me about the sport and they've kind of wanted to know that too. And I think I've been saying it a lot is you just need to go all in and believing in yourself. Like if you want it, you need to go after and get it. Mm-hmm. Um, in BMX, like I don't know how other sports work, but in BMX world and this kind of individual sport, you have to go after what you want. Like there's not somebody guiding you along the way saying, okay, you qualify for this. Okay. We're going to go do this. It's like, if you want to go to a world cup event, like you have to get yourself ready and tell yourself like you're going to go to it. For me back in the day, like this was back when I decided I wanted to do BMX full time. It was, I knew I needed to go down South and I needed to move myself down South. So I found somewhere to stay and I just drove down to California because I knew that's what it took um so if the other people are listening any bmx riders listening like be okay be willing just to go all in on your own i think that's what it takes and that's what you need to be willing to do and and i think that goes for a lot of sports sports too so it's great advice all around for bmxers and for any athlete trying to pursue uh their dream with regards to uh the olympic uh experience so i think that's awesome advice yeah i think yeah what what are your thoughts on like because there's a lot of people nowadays that say like, you know, you need to have balance kind of thing, but I've always, I've started to be more of a, when you're younger, you don't need to worry about balance. Like I've seen a lot of people that just go all in and that's how they become so great in their sport. And then I always think now that the older you get, that's when you need to find the balance to kind of level things out. What is your opinion on that? I've always just kind of been curious of other people's. So I'll give you a couple different, just from talking to other people. So a lot of, a lot of these athletes um, are dual athletes first when they're growing up um yep. here the gta a lot of times like lacrosse hockey soccer mm-hmm. hockey and like i said some of the kids are becoming so they're becoming they're now younger they're becoming so good and now you see a lot of them just focusing on one individual sport and they're becoming so good at it and uh, growing up i did two or three and so a lot yeah, of times i'll pose the question like what's better to be so specialized and to be really good uh, or to do different sports. So, I mean, there's different feedback I've been getting with, if you, if you specialized, okay, you run into that problem of, you're not, you might lose the, the, um, the love and the joy of the sport because you've been doing it for so long. Um, a little burnt out. Yeah. A little bit burnt out. 
the one um, athlete I talked to, she made a good point. She's in like physio uh, and she just moved down. She's Canadian, but now she's in the States and Florida and she does a lot of baseball players. And by practicing baseball all year round, you get injuries, right? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Uh, so sure. she's like, well, it's good to give those muscles a rest uh, as well. Um, and then by playing other sports, sometimes they, they are complementary, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're not you're using certain muscle groups that can help each that are helping each other. Um, so that's some of the feet, like some of the stuff I've heard with regards to um, focus, honing in on one specific sport. Um, like I said, you're, when you're younger, you're a kid. Like I personally, I think you, you want to experience it all. You know what I mean? Um, totally. Yeah. Yeah. But people get so fixated on, I want to be professional. I want to make it all the way to the top. Like, you know, I want to be like Sidney Crosby or, you, you know, <laughs> that kind of stuff. So they get, it's the media now put stuff, it's putting stuff in parents, putting in their ears, the kids here. So they have to go to the, they're going to the gym. They're doing these sports the whole day, like all day. So it's, it's crazy. And that's yeah, not yeah. how I got brought up. So I'm not going to say one's right or wrong. Uh, yeah. You see both uh, instance. Um, but the mind, but more the mindset stuff comes into play is finding a balance. So like mm-hmm. for kids, education is huge. Um, and a lot of this, these sport Olympic sports, you get scholarships, right. To go to school, uh, not yeah. all sports like yours and a couple other ones, you don't have that opportunity, but you're doing an athletic scholarship. Um, can you manage your time with school, with your sport, with your friends and, um, your family, you know, are you moving away? So that's where I think um, balance starts to become very important. And if you can understand that earlier in life, it's going to help you when you make those jumps. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just, I think, comes to the realm of mental health. Like that's why I think, uh, I don't want to say kids, I want to say people, kids, athletes, young, old, uh, run into the mental health stuff because um, just finding a balance, finding te- teams of people whether it is your people in your friends and family group your sport group to help support you um goes a long way um it you just it's sad but you're seeing it so much more now um because of things that have happened um i mean you a lot of stories in olympics you've 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 heard right so uh, i think that balance comes out like that you know your your let's let's call it high high school and around high school you, yeah, you start to yeah. See it and you're able to, and then you're making those jumps right do you want to play this sport you're good at it and you want to be good or do you want to make the jump to like semi-pro pro and the levels you were talking about uh mm-hmm. as well uh to go all in go all in for it so it's it and everyone's different too so it's 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 tough uh very yeah. tough i'm not sure if i really answered your question or um no uh, I always just like, I like getting those opinions, those different thoughts on it too. Um, Cause I, I do like the idea and I've, I've always been a preacher for that too, is when you're growing up, I think playing other sports first off is huge. Um, not just being specific in one sport, right. From a young age, because you need to be versatile as an athlete. So, and mm-hmm. not just in your sport, but with other training aspects, so like you need to be able to move your body in certain ways that maybe your one sport doesn't help you with like in the training aspect. So it's like for BMX, we need to be able to do a lot of plyometrics in the gym and whatnot. And if you just ride a bike all the time, you're not going to have that, uh, that skill set on your feet usually. So you need to like, as a kid, as a parent, like you need to keep your kids in those other sports, at least to a certain point. And I think you nailed it on the head, like kind of your high school, like kind of 
mid to late teenage years. And then if you want to get specific in your sport, do so. Um, and I think having that background of other sports then creates balance in the future as well. Like having other interests outside of your sport, because you're right. That's huge. Like people that are, don't really have those interests. Um, once they get older, they, they, yeah, they either start to get burnt out or they just, they don't have somewhere to escape their sport from. Yeah. And, and the, big, sport too. Yeah. the big thing I hear with Olympians, I'm, I'm sure you probably hear it is what's and actually a guy, a guy made a great post today. Like what's, what's life after sports? Like you mm-hmm. eat, sleep and train. What's, what's after. And I find like exactly what you're saying. Those other interests hopefully can come into play, but if you haven't developed those, I think you can become lost. Right. And that's where sure, it's yeah. tr- tricky as tricky as well. Um, a lot of times, yeah, they say the Olympian athlete because you're training four years, eight years, however many Olympics you do. And that's like all, you know, right. So it's mm-hmm. almost like a post post stress after, after you've ended your career, you re- you retired, whatever it may be. Yeah. So it's important, but, um, I think, yeah, every person is, every person's different. So it's, it's hard to say fully, but, um, it's definitely, it's definitely important, especially now with, um, media, social media and all this stuff that we have access to, uh, mm-hmm. things being more challenging, which, uh, I think plays a big part, good and bad, uh, with that, with that stuff. Yeah. So, uh, thanks for coming on and, you know, I think I got a little bit, I think I got a little bit lucky. You said you got a little bit of an injury. So you had time to, uh, sit down and chat. So sorry, you got injured, but thank you for getting injured. Cause I now got to <laughs> jump on to have this little chat with you. Yeah, no worries. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me on. I enjoyed, uh, just getting a chat.